John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltica, Ed. And this is the High Gain Podcast. Oh man, the High Gain Podcast is going to be great today. Yeah? What are we going to talk about? Uh, we're going to talk about beverages and guitars and all the stuff we always talk about, Ed. Are you in beautiful West Seattle? I am in beautiful West Seattle, in the basement, as always. Yep, same here. I'm in West Seattle, a couple blocks away. All the shades are drawn. I've got the lights down low. Ooh, I'm feeling very mellow today. Mellow or romantic? A little of both, you know. Nice. Hey, John, good news. What's that? It's not just West Seattle. It's not? No. We have guests. Oh, yeah. Hide the liquor. We have guests. Exactly. Who's here? We have Tim and Brandon from Built Guitars, Ed. Welcome, y'all. Hey, guys. Thanks. Where are you recording from? Beautiful, sunny Des Moines, Iowa. Is it sunny there? Like, I have no idea what Des Moines is like this time of year. Right now, it's overcast and quite cold. Yeah. In the 20s. Oof. Yeah, it's cold here. <laughs> oh. We're hanging out in Built HQ today in the office. Yep. Is that like a warehouse? We're in this really old building. It's storied for me. There's a lot of history. I used to own it. We occupy about 3,000 square foot of it. And then we also built up. Nice. So we're kind of in an attic and shop space. You know, it's just a fun space for us. We've been in here from the beginning. Yeah, since about 2004, uh, we opened up a repair shop in here and then built kind of sprung from that about 2008. I've been around this building for a long time, suffered through horrifying roof situations. Ooh. You know, wrestling with banks and wrestling with municipalities and, you know, just becoming a bigger, stronger person because of it. <laughs> it's not really a warehouse space, but just a boring commercial building, really. 
It was made in 1912. Oh, wow. Nice. And when we built out the attic, uh, we cut out parts of the beams to put doorways in and stuff. And uh, it's super, super old growth pine. Probably the wood was at least 300 years old when it was cut. We've made a few guitars out of it, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. A bunch of photos, I think, when you just finish up guitars on your Insta stream, there's like a spray-painted brick wall. Yes, that's right outside the building. Yeah. It's an old firehouse from the turn of the century. The local boys keep that thing painted for us. (laughs) It's pretty cool. I mean, I've never seen anybody doing it, but it just keeps going. (laughs) It's kind of become our thing. Sure. That's where we take the pictures, and it's a little bit of a bummer in the winter. Because, you know, it's either freezing cold or overcast, so the pictures don't look so great outside. But we're still trying to do it. You have to suffer. Suffer for art. We might find those boys tagging the building and bring them in and yeah. let them tag our brick wall on the inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Radio is the sound salvation. Radio is cleaning up the nation. They say you better listen to the voice of reason. Beverages. Beverages, Ed. That was Radio Radio as written by Elvis Costello. Right. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think that was originally Firebird Pickup. <laughs> it sounded great, though. Oh, thanks. You know about radios, Ed? Kind of, yeah. Crystals and stuff. Magic. Exactly. Voodoo. Right. The self-proclaimed father of radio. Yeah. Our man Lee DeForest was born and raised in Iowa. Oh, see. Nice. Built is from Iowa. Yes. And then radios are from Iowa. (laughs) And then Elvis Costello did a song called Radio. Radio. Got it. Ronald Reagan once did radio in Iowa. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Always tying it together, John. We love that. I am the rug that puts the room together. What's your beverage, Ed? I have a bubble up, crisp and refreshing lemon lime soda from our friends at Orca Beverage. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Like old school bubble up? Exactly. Nice. There's a company, Orca Beverage, that's just up north of Seattle, and they have licensed or got the rights to all these old school sodas. Yeah. You know, so this is straight up pure cane sugar and. It's an old school soda. Is there a slogan with that? Serve well chilled. Is that a slogan? (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I've got a brownie caramel cream root beer. Oh, you've got an Orca beverage as well. I do. That's great. And of course, it's pure cane sugar. I don't want to insult our friends in Iowa, but uh, there's no big corn in this beverage. (laughs) Oh, Hey, man, we pay really close attention to agricultural policies, and uh, it's kind of a bit of a shame. I did not mean to insult the great state of Iowa. You're just fine. I think most of our corn goes to China. Oh, okay. Well, geez. If you're a resident of Alaska, you get an oil check every year. Yes. If you're an Iowan, does somebody back up a truck of corn to your house once a year? Yes, and it's really difficult to figure out what to do with it, so I just send mine directly to China as well. (laughs) (laughs) 
you do have big corn. You just don't keep it. Yeah. Iowa's just a wonderful place, a great place to live. We are at the, the uh, intersection of I-35 and I-80, which is what ties Minneapolis and Chicago and Kansas City and Omaha and all these wonderful places. So we get every single Monday and Tuesday night show that those big cities get on the weekends. Then they have enough time to stop by and see us at the shop or we can go see them. Des Moines is a much smaller market and we can be a little more intimate with our buddies and players and people that are doing music back when you used to be able to do music. Right. We've met quite a few people just randomly who were in town and, you know, either have a day off here or have a show here. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's how we've met a bunch of people who have yes. belts now. We met the dudes in Mastodon literally on the street and I, I knew it was Mastodon. Because you recognize them from Game of Thrones? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I know those guys anywhere. <laughs> they were like, anything to do in this town? And I said, yeah, we have a guitar company. Want to come see it? Brent hopped in the car with me and... He bought a guitar and... Yep. Wow. It seems like that would totally be their thing. Yeah, he's he's a great dude. Did he get something with effects built in? No, that scares too many people. <laughs> he just got a, a Rollivator LS. He wanted a green to black first. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah, uh, Brent's fantastic. He's a great dude. Yeah, whenever he gets close, we always hang. Hey, Tim, what are you drinking? Black coffee, and the beans are from a shop friend who just opened up his own coffee shop in downtown Des Moines. Daisy Chain Coffee, if you check him out online. He was at a coffee shop right across the street from Built. That shop was kind of a casualty of COVID. Oh. But, you know, it was kind of good for him because he started his own place. Daisy Chain Coffee, everybody. And he also has the white honey boxes at his house, and he sells his own honey. I'd really like to have a hive in our backyard. Yeah. But it's just like, oh, do I want bees with my neighbors? And You know what? Just do it, man. Follow my dreams. Don't let anything stop you. That's right. You know, social consideration, just step right over that. <laughs> if i gave them honey maybe they'd like that yeah all the hipsters in your building will just <laughs> they'll just soften right up exactly brandon what are you drinking same thing we made a pot just before we started grind beans up right then right then do you french press it do you just regular coffee maker uh we do a dripper nice we resurrected this mr coffee machine <sighs> And we clean it out, you know, do the vinegar water thing every so often. It actually brews a pretty decent cup of coffee. Mr. Coffee, you can't go wrong with that. Come on. That's classic. Tell me about the guitar you've got, John. Let's get into this thing. So I've got a Relevator. I will give you the briefest rundown here. It is in the offset jazz mastery kind of family. This particular one has three kind of Firebird mini humbuckers in it. Tone volume across two circuits. There's a lead circuit and a rhythm circuit. It's got a mastery bridge and trem on it. And this one is finished in orange sparkle. I am going through my pedal board and into a Strymon Iridium. What amp is that? I am set up with their kind of deluxe reverb type model. I figured it would be in keeping. Got it. Sure. I don't have anything on, but if I did have, say, a 1981 Inventions pedal on, it adds a little more grit to it. It's a three pickup? This particular one is, yes. Is it bound? Bound neck block inlays. Perfect. And we were mentioning this before the show. 
on fenders of a certain vintage, you can look at the rosewood fretboard and where it meets the headstock, you can kind of see how thick that fretboard is. And if it's past a certain thickness, we call it a slab. Looking at this built relevator, I notice that the slab is massive. <laughs> what does that help with? Is that like just a sustain deal? It helps with awesome. <laughs> yes. How about I ask one of the builders that same question? Okay. <laughs> Let me give you the full reasoning behind it. You know, as a luthier, all of our designs are really, really heavily informed by repairability. I spent a lot of time in a full service shop that I owned in shops around the country repairing guitars. And one of the biggest things in what I consider to be a stable neck is to, number one, have a fingerboard, and number two, have it be somewhat more significant than what you find on most fenders. There's a lot of stability in that glue joint. Should anything go wonky, we can use heat presses and slip fit that joint if we need to. Fortunately, we've never had to. It actually yeah. just makes for a really, really stable neck. I've owned several jazz masters over the years, and it's because I love them. I love that body style, mm -hmm. and I don't own one right now. I like them in theory, but I get them, and they always just feel wrong. They are soft. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, Brandon? Like yeah. They are a soft-feeling guitar. If you're used to the stability and the feel of a Les Paul, nothing happens behind the bridge. Right. On a Jazzmaster setup or a Jaguar setup, they just feel soft. No matter what you do, there's a low break angle over the bridge. And so there's never that immediate tightness on your right hand. They look so cool, but they just don't connect with somebody that grew up playing a Strat or a, or a Les Paul. Unless yeah. you understand that that's what it is and that it's not the same thing. We do do things differently that help in all of those regards. For example, we would not use another bridge for an offset style besides Woody's Mastery Bridge. Yes. Case closed. It solved the Jazzmaster Jaguar bridge problem. One thing I've discovered in the last year and a half is anything with a Jazzmaster type bridge and vibrato tends to make the attack softer. Anything with a hardtail, you're going to get a sharper attack. Was the Relevator the first model? Yep. When I had a repair shop, Brandon here had this Telecaster that he insisted I install effects into. And he so what did you have? You had a Red Witch Fuzz God. Yep. Oh, I love those. And a carbon copy delay. And they also wanted a Sustainiac sustainer in it. Yeah. I started coming into the Luthery shop, which was Tim's repair shop, downstairs where we're at now, in probably about 2005, 2006. My band just got signed. I had a little bit of cash. I was buying some guitars. You know, I had all these dreams of being like the Edge who played like a different guitar on every song. <laughs> so I had all these guitar projects that I was going to make Tim go through. I bought a brand new Mexican-made Tele Deluxe in like the walnut finish. Yep. Right. But I wanted one in white. So I brought it straight to the Luthery shop and asked Tim to paint it. <laughs> so he painted that Telecaster white. I immediately took it to England and threw it at the first show and like knocked some tuners <laughs> off of it. So it was out of commission show one of like a three week tour. <laughs> so I brought it back after the tour to fix the tuners and stuff. And one, I was on the road, I'm like leaning down to turn knobs on effects pedals and stuff. And just like, I'm not this guy. I don't like shoegazing and bending down to twist knobs. 
And my brother had an old Electra Les Paul with effects in it. And I remember thinking the concept was awesome, but the execution was not so great. I thought like, man, if I could put a delay and then this Red Witch that I was using to feed back on itself and get like a theremin kind of sound. I was like, if I could get these in a guitar, then I could play it and do that at the same time. So I brought the basket case telly back to Tim and asked him if he'd put these effects in it. And I remember Tim saying no at first. (laughs) I was kind of money up at the time. Moneyed up. I had a little disposable income and I was like, what about 500 bucks? And he's like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I had a vintage Honda motorcycle fetish at the time. (laughs) I probably needed a, you know, carb kit or something, but we took that on and it turned into a lot of cavity routing and it ended up being a really fun design exercise coming up with the different pick guard to get it all to work. And then how do you depopulate a pedal and be able to mount the controls in the guitar? Yeah. So that was all really cool. And we did that. I took it back on tour and I started playing it with the effects live. At this point, when I was home, I was basically just like hanging out at Tim's place. And I was like, man, every single show, I play with this guitar and, you know, get the oscillation going and get the feedback with the delay. And there's like four or five guys that come up after the show and ask what's up with this guitar. There's something cool here. There was like this thing that kind of was swirling around. I took a vacation to California and my brother-in-law had an old Fender book and I saw some cool looking guitars and I brought that back and showed Tim. Then I saw a picture of a Lake Placid Blue marauder prototype that was alive and well living at dave's guitars in lacrosse wisconsin so i actually drove to lacrosse specifically to go look at this guitar and check it out and just got so incredibly inspired by it because there were so many goofy things with it that just screamed at me to do what it really solidified for us is it had all these extra plates yeah so it had just a tremendous amount of real estate for knobs Then it became a prototyping exercise. So I went up and took a bunch of inspiration from that guitar and brought it back. And that's when we came up with the Relevator. I think my wife had something to do with finding the the word. We were stuck on Revelator. And there's another dude making the Fender copies under the Revelator name. And we were like really scared about stepping on anybody's toes. And then that came out and we looked it up and there was like no definition for it. (laughs) So perfect. People get it wrong about half the time, but it yeah. is Relevator, and, and that's fine. We made up our own word. What yep. are you going to do? So the design came together really well because we had a, a rock-solid template. It was, like, perfect. That guitar had kind of this cult following. If you knew Fender, you knew that this model never got produced, but it made it into the 66 color catalog. Right. I had been building guitars for a long time, and I was really into jazz boxes or acoustic arch tops and I was going to, you know, take the world by storm with that. Well, nobody wanted anything like that. So I was not looking for a way to start building guitars again. This really had to be something special for me to take up that mantle again. And then it really did. And I could tell almost immediately that it would click with certain people. And it also had a really big effect of getting people's attention. And it also taught me to have a really thick skin because as much as people love it at first sight, There's many, many more that hate it at first sight, but I really had a lot of faith in the general outline and the idea of what we were doing. Honestly, guys, the first one was awesome. It's hanging in Tim's house, and it's a fantastic guitar. I had a 76 Starcaster, 
I got the guitar and it was like a dream to get one of those because my buddy Dave Kooning from The Killers played one. Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead has one. And they were super rare, hard to find. I found one at an old estate sale. I brought it home and played it for about a week and I was totally disappointed. An awesome looking guitar, but I hated the way it played. And I brought it into Tim and said, I'll let you do anything to this guitar. How can we make this a better guitar? And he said, I could make you one. And I said, are you serious? And he said, no. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this is shortly before Built got started. Tim had made the telly for me, but now he's talking about making this arch top and back, you know, semi hollow body guitar uh, inspired by the Starcaster. I was like, oh man, I am in, let's do this. And he said, you pay for the parts, the hardware and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, if you come in in the morning, I'll work on it for a couple hours. If you're here, if you don't show up, I'm not working on it. And your band play my wedding. <laughs> so we played Tim and Monica's wedding and it took about six, seven months to make the guitar. And I just got to stand there and watch him make the guitar. And we took the basic concept of the Starcaster and, you know, made what we thought were improvements in a few areas. Definitely the way the neck connects to the body, that angle and the way the neck sits in the pocket. There's no contest. It makes the awkwardness of a Starcaster not awkward. And what was interesting about the Starcaster is it's got that Gene Fields headstock on it, which we thought was cool. We made the swoosh a little bigger and, you know, we're like, oh, we'll paint that a different color kind of thing. Right. And at the time, no one was talking about a Starcaster or anything like that. There wasn't interest in that. I'm wondering, Tim, it seems like there was a lot of inspiration going on that led you in this direction. But even without it, is starting your own manufacturing company something that you were maybe heading towards anyway? Not really. The repair shop was pretty successful. So it was not something that I was looking for, but man, it felt right when it came along. Oh. That amount of inspiration was enough for me to make a decision eventually. You know, we kind of wound along for a couple of years and we got a write-up in Premier Guitar the fall of 2009, I think. And, you know, I was expecting the phone to just ring off the hook, but, <laughs> you know, it didn't. But, you know, we just kept having like one or two on order at any given time. And then all of a sudden it was five on order at any given time. And then, you know, six months later, you know, we had 15 on order. And then 2013 was about when we started to have real numbers start getting ordered at a time. So I had an empty suite in the building and I needed a new roof really bad. And the bank didn't want to do anything until we found a tenant. And so Built Guitars became the tenant for the other space. Perfect. Right about that time, we started working with Chicago Music Exchange a lot. And they were ordering crazy amounts at a time. 2014 was a full-time Built. Up to that point then... Yeah. Was it just you, Tim, doing the actual building, or had you already started to kind of ramp up with other people helping to build? Well, at that point, it was myself and another guy, Bill, who is the Bill in Built, Bill Hens. He was working in the Lutheran shop with me or for me, I guess. And it was him and I that were doing all of the construction. Wow. And all of the outreach and customer stuff and, and basically every aspect of it. What's amazing to just a handful of guys who make guitars born and raised in Iowa is we got attention like right away. We didn't have like the numbers, but people knew who we were and people were talking about it. Tim knew Nels Klein for years. 
So Nels saw built guitar in 2009. And I, aside from being a working musician, was also a music producer. And, you know, as soon as we had a Relevator, I was showing all my friends. So we got our guitars in the hands of some movers and shakers in the business pretty much right out of the gate. So we had Nels Klein as a client and an advocate for built. Dave Kooning from The Killers, who's born and raised in Iowa, I didn't know him growing up, but him and I met each other years later. It's kind of this magical thing because very prior to that, by a year or so, Woody came out with the Mastery Bridge, and there was this resurgence in offsets. He was a huge catalyst for there being that renewed interest in offsets because he fixed the bridge issue. Looking back on it, it's like a story. It really pushed me into Woody's arms, basically. Yeah, totally. He was like my buddy, Woody works at Willie's in Minneapolis. He has made this bridge. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, really, you got to check it out. So I did. And he was really developing the mastery bridge. They were getting ready to market the thing. And just really, really at the very beginning, and I was like, you have to do OEM for me. So he agreed to it. And we bought eight bridges and yeah. the mail carrier left them outside and somebody stole them. Oh, oh no. I found the box behind our building and there was like <laughs> bridges and bridge parts scattered all over the place and i think i recovered like four or five of them of those original eight how many of them had effects built in all eight. Oh wow wow did they all have the red witch no you know the fuzz factory had that stability yeah. knob on it yeah yep so we added a tone control we added a few other things and changed some of the component parameters is there any technical thing with the proximity to the pickups? I don't know enough about electronics, but it just seems like jamming the fuzz circuit right next to the pickup. Is there any noise or are they just unrelated? Well, sir, that's a great question. <laughs> Tim was pretty ingenious right from the get go. Since we had a vibrato cut on the surface of the guitar, Tim was like, what if we do a strat cavity on the back? And that's where the circuit boards for the effects go. Uh, okay. So basically, it became a hunt for what was crosstalking. Yeah. So I learned a lot about shielding and shielded leads and powered lines and all of that stuff so that I could make these things work within the guitar and be reasonably quiet when not in use. It was a really big, super, super fun education. That is what ultimately I really fell in love with was the process of figuring these wacky things out. Here comes a two-parter, I think. Has there been an effect that someone's maybe come to you and said like, hey, I want to put XYZ effect in? Because I know like Noveller has that... Uh, the old blood noise? The Dark Star. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of our favorites. But is there anything that someone's come to you and and you've just been like, oh, we can't put a Strymon Volante in a guitar. There's kind of a standing philosophy when it comes to those suggestions. It has to make sense that the pedal would be at your fingertips. If it's just something that you preset and click on, we're not going to go to the trouble of doing that. And, and we're not going to go to the trouble of charging you to do it. Now, if it's something you want to adjust on the fly. A tremolo in a guitar where you can do the rate knob in real time is incredible. That's fantastic. That just makes so much sense. Yeah. But uh, maybe one thing we haven't talked about that's kind of interesting. Tim came up with this pretty novel idea of how to power the effects through a stereo cable and a power supply. Oh, wow. That's how it was powered for a long time. We still offer that if that's how someone wants it, but we also can do batteries. So, you know, we're not determining what's first in your chain. 
one of the guitars we did was the Univox UC2. Yeah. I fell in love with that guitar. This thing's like 600 bucks and I just loved it. <laughs> yeah. The trem system on it was a little flaky and it was just a little, you know, like older. Yeah. But the El Hombre. Yeah. It's got that style to it, like an old Univox. If you're a guitar player and you know what you're looking at, I don't think we're trying to keep our influences hidden. Yeah. What is an original design? (laughs) Right. It's all stolen from a violin. I think at the core of it, that's exactly what art is. You take your influences and you kind of uh, put them in the blender. And if you're lucky, what comes out the other end is you. And that's what moves the culture forward. Exactly. We are like the world's most fun and greatest guitar configurator. (laughs) (laughs) Do you build guitars without an order? Uh, Rarely. We went through that whole thing where we were like the super hot guitar company for a minute. And we had so many orders, it was ridiculous. But with some reflection, that's not really what energizes us. All the dealers we have now are very cool, smaller shops that are all personal friends of ours. We are really lucky to have the clientele that we do and that we get to have direct customers and we get to have direct contact. And we actually feel like that is our biggest attribute is to be able to have people calling us up or writing to us and asking if we can do certain things because it does nothing but give us the opportunity to do what we're really good at, which is expanding our horizons in this whole field. I got a question for you guys. Yeah. So what do you think of that guitar? Here's a clean sound. Let's do the rundown we always do. If I go bridgiest and most treblous as I can go, Ed. If I reverse that and go up to the neck. Play me a little jazz chord. Play me something jazzy. Like that? Perfect. Did that do it for you? That was exactly what I needed. Thank you. Now I'm in the middle. And I'll roll up the treble. Now let's see, Ed. If I go, say, to the Recovery Effects shortwave pedal. I don't know if you guys know about this one. Local company here that has made a pedal that introduces deliberately radio wavy sounds into things. Nice. Very cool. It's like based on a wire recorder. That's fantastic. As long as we're talking about some Dark Star. Oh. How about a little uh, Sputnik (laughs) from our good friends down in Portland, Oregon? Sure. That's very cool. Yeah. What if I put a phantom operator on there, Ed, also from our good friends at Recovery Effects? That. There's like a whole run of pedals that have come out in the last couple of years that you turn on to make it sound broken. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're just super glitchy and weird. Man, I just love them. 
we're building a like a synth type filter that's going to go into a built bass that we're going to do this year. Ooh. Oh, like all LFO style and yeah, that's like a Korg style filter. But that's something we've used in the studio. Like you just have a you know a guy playing bass and you have uh, like a cool overdriven sound and you just have like a synth type filter on. Yep, having that in a bass would be really cool. You asked what we thought of this guitar. Yeah, let's hear it. I have not got to play it yet. The COVID downside is like John gets the guitars and we have to do a socially distant handoff, you know, if I want to actually play them. John was like, okay, Ed, if I sold my Jazz Master and my Mustang, <laughs> like doing a built build of like what he would have to sell. Nice. Generally speaking, that is a very good sign. I can get rid of these two guitars and get this one guitar. Exactly. The neck on this particular one has got some wonderful bird's eye in the back of it. That guitar was made for J Mave out of Singapore. We made four guitars, all big flake sparkle finishes. It was orange, blue, green, and, and red sparkle. I don't want to lose the thread of the original question here, which is, uh, how do I like the guitar? And I ended up going into pedal land. But it's definitely true about the softness you find in a standard jazz master because of the break behind the bridge. But one thing I like that's retained, I don't know if you can hear it here. Let me see. I don't know if you can hear that really, really high ring. Totally. That's a sympathetic uh, ring behind the bridge of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's retained, and that kind of like adds a, a shimmer quality that I, I'm kind of into. That combined with the kind of, well, on this one, the neck feels a little thicker than standard, which is great for me with my frame. <laughs> I got big hands, Ed. Boy, that's nice. Those Lawler Firebirds are pretty great, aren't they? Oh, they sure are. Ed and I have a difference of opinion about the Relevator. Ed is, uh, or at least you said at the beginning of this, less enthusiastic about the Relevator plus effects, whereas myself, man, I would be so into that. It goes exactly with what y'all said. Why would you put a distortion or an overdrive or fuzz yeah. like right in front? Like that just makes no sense to me. Yeah. A Dark Star? That makes a lot of sense. That pedal just comes alive if you can play a part and move a knob at the same time. I've got a pretty big pedal board, and I spend probably 90% of the time I play sitting on the ground in front of my pedal board. Yep. I'm playing the pedal board. I'm not playing guitar. So having them where you can just stand up and do that is pretty great. Right. When you build the effects version, I imagine you have to go out and buy at least one copy of the pedal. Yeah, if we're prototyping something, occasionally we have to buy two of them. But for the most part, the concept is the same. We're really not doing a whole lot to modify the pedal itself, other than just to reroute the controls to the face of the guitar. I was listening to that episode you guys did with Joel. What's the platform? Automatone. Automatone, right. Yeah. That's got to happen for sure. Oh my God. Setting a preset on your guitar and recalling a preset on your guitar and the knobs move. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's going to happen. <laughs> my current, you know, guitar tone, it might as well be a synth. I'm definitely full bore into that. Make my guitar sound not like a guitar. Yeah. It's my understanding that the sparkle finishes, especially if you're using a larger flake, are exceedingly difficult. Is that right? Yes, they are. Not for me. 
<laughs> Tim is the best in the business. I'm just going to say it at the Big Flake Sparkle finishes. They are fun to do. I developed a technique that, number one, is is clean for the shop. Because if you spray that stuff, it is insanely difficult to keep it out of everything else. If you own a built guitar, I guess, like, scour your finish, look for a sparkle. Because there's probably one little errant sparkle. Sometimes I leave them there just because it's ha-ha funny. It's a really cool thing to be able to do, and I enjoy doing them. And it seems like each and every one, when I get to the point where I'm putting color on, it's kind of like a hee-hee-hee, you know? Yeah. My partner in crime, Patrick, does all the assembly. He carves all the necks. Patrick is an incredible luthier. Yes. He's a good family man, so as soon as it's 5 o'clock, he's out. Gone. He is the hell out of here, and he's not going to think or talk about built till the morning. <laughs> We have like a symbiotic relationship when it comes to jigs and fixtures and making things and figuring out how to make things. And we share that passion. But Between the talent of these two guys, we're doing some of the craziest work we've ever done. All I can hope for is that you can just keep up with the massive high gain bump you're about to get. <laughs> like, Yes, right. They are going to be blowing your doors off, and I apologize now. I'm sorry. You know, honestly, when, when you came up with the idea, I was like, I'm not sure we can sustain the exposure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think we did a great job today. Do you? What do you think? Uh, I think it was a pretty good job. <laughs> it's this guitar. Builtguitars.com. That's right. And your Instagram stream, killer. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to see Built Guitars being made, follow Tim at Built and Patrick with a K at Built. On Instagram? Yes. Check that out if you're interested in seeing the process shots. I just followed both of those accounts. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. We have to really thank Tim and Brandon from Built Guitars for spending part of their day talking to our dumbasses. <laughs> this has been really informative and a lot of fun, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Where can people find us, John? After you're done looking at Built Guitars, everybody, you can find us in the normal places at our website, thehighgain.com. Maybe send us an email to thehighgainpod at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know what you thought of the episode. Sure. All the socials, of course, our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter, all of that, we're at The High Gain. On our Instagram, there's actually a link to our Discord server. I think you're right, so you can come to Discord and continue the conversation. If all of this is not enough, go to patreon.com slash the high gain. Maybe, uh, you know, help us out. Throw a couple bucks our way, whatever. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>